If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, trying to work our way through this small letter. It's four chapters long, and it's written by Paul from a prison cell in Rome, and he's writing to a church that's a thousand miles away in Philippi. It's one of his favorite churches, and uh, he writes to him, and he talks about joy in the middle of a situation where he's in, in prison, and he doesn't know what his future is going to be. And he doesn't know when he's going to appear before Nero. And during that time, he wants to encourage the church in Philippi. And I'll get to that. And later, we'll kind of finish the first chapter today. Um, I want to um, thank you, thank this church. And if uh, you've just been a blessing to me, uh, I remember uh, sitting up in the balcony up there when it was full. And... Uh, holding Susan's hand and singing all the world to me. <laughs> she thinks all the world to me. I love Jesus with all my heart. But really, I was loving Susan with all my heart and holding her hand, and it really was a blessing to me. But this church has been a blessing to me and Susan in the last uh, since January when we've come to you, and you have blessed me so much. And I thank God for this church, and I thank God for you giving me the opportunity or giving us the opportunity to be here. I just want to tell you that Susan is not here today. She uh, took her to emergency room last night, and she tested positive for COVID. She had a uh, kind of flu virus or something working like flu, all those symptoms. And so she's at home laying in bed trying to get better. And so, uh, and man... I look to her for my smile. When I stand up, she sends me that smile. And so I'm missing that smile. So would you look at me and smile? Give me that smile. It ain't the same. It really ain't the same. But I appreciate your effort to try that anyway. And I, I don't have those uh, symptoms, and hopefully I don't have them. We were supposed to go see our son in Tampa and son and his family in Tampa uh, this weekend. So it all depends on how things turn out. And um, my, it's grandparents' weekend for our um, two little girl, uh, well, our two grandchildren, one girl and one boy. And also she plays lacrosse. And I've never played lacrosse. I can't even spell lacrosse. And I don't think Selma has ever had a lacrosse team. Uh, if it did, they couldn't spell it. But... So I don't know what's going on, but I watch to see what everybody else does. And if they clap, I clap, and I don't know what's happening. But So they were supposed to play lacrosse. She plays lacrosse this weekend. And I hope we're able to not only celebrate Grandparents' Day, but also to watch my uh, granddaughter play lacrosse so I can understand what's going on. But it is good to be with you today. Let me... Um, Kitty and, and uh, Elaine not only write my sermons, but they uh, send me letters. So I got letters from them today, and the letter was this, and it's in big letters. I appreciate them doing that for me in these big letters. Uh, uh, keep your sermon short. That's what they wrote to me. So I appreciate that, uh, Kitty and Elaine, uh, for encouraging me. But now it says, the flowers in the sanctuary in memory of Paul Hope. And uh, we were in uh, Gatlinburg this past week at Pigeon Forge, 
and got the note that Paul had passed away, and so we came here for the funeral. Let me say, this church really did an awesome job. You guys did an awesome job in feeding the many people that were here and being here to remember Paul, and, and Paul and I played basketball together, and had, but Gloria is a Judson girl, and our prayers are with that family, uh, with Gloria and, and Gail and, and their family. Uh, we spent a night together where we gathered the family with Hancock's barbecue, and they all did memories. We just sat around and did Paul Ho memories. And the spirit of the Lord was there in that room. And that was a very special time together. And so we placed Paul in the hands of the Lord. Let me also say the shoe boxes, uh, Christmas boxes, so good. And I appreciate Gene uh, heading that up and, and encouraging that because these boxes go throughout the world. And there, I've heard testimonies of a girl like she got a toothbrush and she, she was the only one in her kind of dormitory that had a toothbrush and they all shared the same toothbrush. Because these boxes go to people and say, we love you and care about you. So one of the things that we do with our grandchildren is to go through a store and fill those boxes. They have one for girls or one for boys and, and to fill that and then get those boxes after we fill them with toys and stuff that can go in there and then pray about them. And it's a good moment for us and our grandchildren to remember that God is reaching this whole world for Jesus Christ, and it's a good part to play in that. Now, look back with me at uh, Philippians and the first chapter, and uh, in honor of God's word, would you stand as I read, beginning with verse uh, 27. And I'm reading from the King James Version, and I don't know which version you have, but I'll try to bring it into uh, what the Greek has and some of the ideas about from the Greek text. But anyway, in verse 27, he begins only, which is a kind of um, Greek word, mono, which means uh, here I, I need to talk to you. We need to talk. Now, when your wife says that we need to talk, run for the hills. <laughs> okay, it's coming, whatever it is. It's coming, and you need, <laughs> you need to work through that. So he says, let's talk, or only this. Only let your citizenship, that's the word there. Conduct is the way it's translated in the Greek text. Let your citizenship, it's a, a political term that calls for city, uh, word polis, polistei is the kind of the word there. It talks about politics, and Politics is a dirty word these days, isn't it? I mean, uh, House of Representatives can't even elect a speaker of the House. And that kind of tells us that they're in trouble about passing good law. But our citizenship, it may be here, and it is here. And being an American citizen is certainly a privilege and an honor. But our citizenship is up there if you've invited Christ into your life. So if your citizenship is in heaven then the life you here live ought to reflect that kind of citizenship. So he says, let your conduct be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. 
live like Christ would do? What would Jesus do? That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your conduct. That you stand fast in the spirit with one mind striving together in the faith of, faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evidence of your destruction or perdition, but to you it's salvation in that of God. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And it's a privilege when you suffer for the sake, when you take a stand for Jesus Christ, it's a privilege to suffer for him, just like he suffered. Having the same conflict which you saw in me, and they are here to be in me. So he makes it personal. Not only was Christ going through a suffering time, but they were looking at Paul as he was going through it. May God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated. And here's kind of an idea to try and wrap this sermon around if you want to. Our actions speak louder. Our actions speak louder than words. I'm not saved by how I behave, but if I'm saved, I will behave in a way that Christ himself would behave. And so something's going wrong in the church at Philippi. Um, Epaphroditus came to Paul in prison and told him about some um, uh, things happening in the church and the direction that they were going in in kind of the wrong direction. So Paul says this, I need to talk. He's talked about himself. He's talked about how he is in prison and the reason he's in prison because he preached the gospel. But as he has been in prison, he wants them to know how, why he's in prison. But as he's in prison, he's being chained by Protarian guards, and Protarian guards were like the crack troops of the Roman army. They were like army rangers. And as they were being chained to Paul, Paul would talk to them about the Lord, and when these soldiers went out to different parts of the world, they carried Christ with them. And even while Paul's in prison, there are those that have been inspired by the way he has lived in prison to live their own life and to speak boldly for Jesus Christ. And what looks like a bad situation has brought good results. And so he, he talks about that and how he has struggled with the fact of death itself. And for him to die, he says is gain or for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. He doesn't know whether he's going to be there or go and be with the Lord. And he said, which is far better. But as he prayed and talking about that, he said, I believe God's going to leave me here for your benefit. And God did. And later on in 2 Timothy, when he got really, he was let out of prison and then he preached the gospel in several places and finally he came back to Rome and he ended up being beheaded in Rome. But he felt God's moving here that that's the way God was going to leave him, leave him as he got out of prison. So he says, I'm coming to see you. But even if I don't come to see you, I want you to act like you ought to act. 
whether I'm there in person or whether I'm at a distance. You live like you're a Christian, you act like you're a Christian, and you have habits that ought to be Christian kind of habits. And he's not only speaking to the church at Philippi, but he's speaking to me and to you. Uh, Sue and I were in a supper club in a certain city where we were, and there was a couple in that supper club that had this uh, weight program that you could use and, and lose weight. And so they had the signs on their car, on both sides of their car. They had the signs in their house, or outside their house, and they went around encouraging people to accept their weight program. But here's the problem. Uh, both of them were over 200 pounds. That's funny to me. But anyway, they were over 200 pounds. <laughs> and as they were, nobody, they couldn't understand why nobody bought their weight program. And here's the idea. If it doesn't work for you, why not I want it? And they were advertising something they were not doing. And the world looks at us. And they see us in those places and doing those things we ought not be doing. And they wonder, is this really real or not? So Paul is giving them truth. How are you going to respond to truth? Um, I, my favorite show is that where the um, Marine colonel is confronted by Tom Cruise. My wife likes that too because she likes Tom Cruise. But uh, as he is confronted, he says this, you can't handle the truth. And I wonder if we can handle the truth. In Proverbs, um, um, Solomon, who is the wisest man, said, if you correct a wise man, he will appreciate, or a wise woman or a wise man, they will appreciate. If you correct them, they will get even wiser. And so wise people, when they're confronted with the truth, they listen to the truth, they obey the truth, and they thank the truth giver. On the other hand, there are a group that Proverbs call foolish people. Foolish people hear the truth, and they deny the truth, and they ignore the truth giver. And they get so used to not, to not listening to the truth that they can sit under the truth and they're not even bothered. They lose sensitivity in the middle of that, of listening to the truth. And then there are those, the, white, the, um, the wicked people hear the truth they don't like the truth, and they attack the truth giver. Just to tell you about a man named Sam. Uh, Sam uh, was a very good businessman, very good businessman. He, he knew how to make good business decisions. He taught the Bible in his Sunday school class, and he was a very good Bible teacher. 
And as he taught the Bible in Sunday school class, people were amazed at some of the things that he brought out of Bible study. But Sam had this um, lifestyle. And the lifestyle that he had was his language because his language was kind of every now and then he would say things he should not have said. And he would say them in his business. He would say them in his family. He would say them on the golf course. He also had this alcohol problem that was just a problem in his life. He um, had a habit that was his habit. And so it was known throughout the church and kind of community of how this kind of double lifestyle Sam was trying to live. And so like, like God sent Nathan to David when it was a hard thing to do. It's one of those uh, hard uh, conversations that you just try to ignore for a long time. Even though there's an elephant in the room, you try to ignore those kind of conversations because they could go in, they could get explosive, uh, they could go in the wrong way. How do you handle truth will make a difference in what happens in those conversations. And uh, by the way, we have a phone ring. If you're a drug dealer, we let you go. So if any of the drug dealers that are here go and go out, it's time for you go. Anyway, that was a side effect of that. I appreciate that. It's going. It must be really after him. Uh, where was I? I think I was welcome to First Baptist Church. <laughs> so as pastor, God kind of put it on his heart to go talk to Sam because he could see the potential in Sam. Not because he wanted to put him down. He wanted him to come up. And so I sat down with Sam and told him about, you know, it's obvious. And look, Sam, um, you, you're not a positive thing in this church. You've got a great Bible teaching and we're so positive. But it's having a negative effect. People are kind of laughing at your testimony. You're losing your testimony in the middle of it. So Sam, just want to say, if 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 you can't change your lifestyle, um, I'm going to have to ask you not to teach that class. And uh, Sam kind of thought about it and lowered his head, and then he got up and said, "Get somebody to teach that class," and he walked out of the room. He had so much potential if he had just let this go on this side, what he could have been on this side. But he decided to hold on to his lifestyle and give up his opportunity to be a powerful witness for Jesus Christ. 
I don't know how many times that story has been repeated in so many different places. Whatever lifestyle that's kind of against the testimony of Jesus Christ, people really see through that. And they can tell what's happening and where you could have been. Could have been. Now, if you have your Bibles, Paul is here saying, I've told you my situation. Now he turns to their situation. And he said that church is having some um, breaks in the system. There is something kind of missing. And it's such a, used to be such a great church, but now it's kind of heading in the wrong kind of direction. And maybe it's the kind of lifestyles of things that are coming their way. But they don't have what's so necessary for a church to have in the middle of it. And he lists these three things. So if, if you have your Bibles, look at the three things he lists in verse 27. First of all, whether I come or whether I'm absent, it, it, whether the preacher's there or not, or your wife or husband's there or not, or whether my son is at college or wherever he is, I want him to have those convictions that whether I'm there to enforce them or whether they come from inside of him because they cannot come outside. Outside pressure doesn't make it. It's got to come from the inside of your life. And there are certain convictions that ought to be there, whether I'm there or absent. The second thing he says is that you will take a stand in the middle of the world in which you live in because it's hard to take a stand. And Susan and I would, in the army, we'd go to all these things they had. And at first, everybody was drinking, and, and that was the kind of thing to do in all those places. So Susan and I would get a Coke, and that's what we'd do. We'd get a Coke. And then we figured people were just looking at it. They thought we were drinking also. So we just didn't drink anything. And in the middle of all that that was going on, we wanted to show that we stood for Christ in those kind of moments. And it takes courage to do that. Stand for Christ in one spirit, that is leading by the Holy Spirit as he makes you stand. Not to live on life's impulses or the culture that gives around you those kind of impulses, but to take a stand. Take a stand. In the middle of a crowd, in the middle of a group, when everybody else is going this way, it's not the popular thing, but it may be the Christian thing to take a stand. So he encourages them to take a stand, that they take a stand in one spirit. There's the word spirit. There's the idea of suke. Take a stand in one spirit as the Holy Spirit guides you in those things. And the Holy Spirit has this way of guiding our lives. He's down the quiet way. Uh, the word is paracletus. That is the word for the Holy Spirit. He comes alongside of us and said, this is right or this is wrong. Now live by this. Let me encourage you to do this. And let me give you the strength to do this. To stand in the middle of those kind of moments. 
one spirit. It's amazing how when you take a stand, all of a sudden there's this spirit within you and you can feel the Holy Spirit kind of leading you in those kind of moments and saying, yes, you're doing good. You're doing good. Hang in there. Hang in there. I know nobody else is kind of with you, but you kind of hang in there. Even though you may be the only one in your class, anyone in your school, anyone in the business of wherever you might be, take that kind of stand and there's a spirit inside of you that gives you the strength to say, this is right and this is wrong. And I'm not going to let them put me into their mold. I'm going to be in a Christian kind of mode that stands for Christ. The Holy Spirit is there with you and you're not there by yourself. Then he tells them in verse 28, if you have your Bibles, not only to stand and stand in the Spirit, not only to stand whether he comes or whether he doesn't come, but not to be terrified. The word there means to scare horses. They would scare horses. He said, don't be terrified by the others. Because opposition brings some things, and they talk about you sometimes behind your back if you really live the Christian life. And they called me in the unit I was in, a Bible thumper. That's what they used to talk about me. But whenever there was a problem, they came and talked to me when nobody else was looking. That witness for Christ stands in moments. They might put you down at first, but it makes a difference in the crowd that you're in. And he talks about they're, um, they're doing this. There are those that kind of criticize you and criticize your Christian stand. But they're doing it for your instruction. But what they do, if you watch it, it just, you see how God helps you in those moments and just builds you up. You watch him take criticism that others throw at you for taking a Christian stance in a time. And he gives that strength. Because the world watches and watches when you're squeezed what comes out of you. And when you squeeze an orange, you know what comes out of the orange? This is not a difficult question. <laughs> so turn the person next to you and tell them what comes out of an orange when you squeeze an orange. They get orange juice, amen? All right, that, some of you, that's the only thing you remember today, so hang in there with it, okay? When you're squeezed, your true self comes out. And what comes out when you're squeezed? And Paul's in prison, and what's coming out of him is joy. And it cannot be explained. There's no worldly explanation there. When Jesus was squeezed, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Because the world will squeeze you to see if what you have and what you do is really real. Now, this, this past week, uh, Susan and I were um, driving. We spent the night on Sunday night with my brother Ken and, and um, 
left Birmingham and went to Chattanooga and from Chattanooga going to Knoxville and from Knoxville going to uh, Pigeon Forge. And so um, we had our GPS with us. And I don't know how people made it without a GPS. But we had our GPS with us. And if you get on 20, eventually 20 goes into Atlanta. So you have to make a turn uh, along there to get on 59 to go and uh, go to Chattanooga. And I don't want to go to Atlanta. I don't know what it is about driving through Atlanta. I think that's a good definition of hell, driving through Atlanta. And you have these five lanes, and they said, turn this way, and, that, and you're in the fifth lane over with 14 trucks in between you and turning. But the, my GPS, and by the way, a GPS is a woman telling you what to do. Amen, and that's a good thing. Or where to go, that's a good thing. Um, so my GPS, the woman on the GPS uh, said, um, turn at this exit. So I said, no, that's not where we're supposed to turn. And so I kept driving. And she wouldn't let me just drive. She said, <laughs> what is that she says? She says, turn around, not, yeah, recalculating. That's what the idea is, recalculating. And so Susan said to me, you know, we might want to listen to what <laughs> the GPS is telling us, you know. But there is within a man a certain stubborn streak. I mean, if you, if, how many of you know a man with a stubborn streak? Would you say amen? Okay. See, Susan's not here today. She's probably raising her hand in uh, Fairhope today. So I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take 20. So I kept taking 20, and the closer we got to Atlanta, we were going this way, and we should have been going this way. And so finally, um, I did this. Um, you know I'm going in the wrong direction. It dawned on me uh, several hundred miles back there, but uh, it, it had to get all the way up till it got in my head. And so I said, baby, we need to turn. And she said, amen. <laughs> and I said this, which no man likes to say, I was wrong. Can you handle that? Donald Trump has never said that. Uh, Coach Bryant never said that. But I finally had to say I was wrong. So we turned at Aniston and drove back and finally get us an hour out of the way and we finally got on 59 and then went to Chattanooga. But the truth kept hitting me and hitting me and hitting me, and I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. God hits us with the truth about some habits within our life. Paul calls them strongholds that get into our life. Maybe a language habit, maybe a wrong habit, whatever you name your habit. Maybe it's anger that just builds up. Whatever it is, and he gives us a way to deal with those kind of things in his power and in his strength. And the blessing comes when we say, I was wrong. And you're right. Thank you, God, for giving me the truth in my life. Because I could have been way over here 
and missed out on what you have for me. There was a fourth century uh, monk who uh, told his story. He liked to tell his story. And I think it's a beautiful story. It, it talks about a um, lioness who gave birth to a um, little lion, lion king. And he, she died in childbirth. And so the little lion took up with a group of goats that came around. And he started acting like a goat. He started bleating like a goat. He started eating grass like a goat. And there was a lion king that came by and saw that, and he was appalled at that. And so he says to the lion, you're not a goat. Quit acting like a goat. And he took him to the stream that was there by and said, look at your reflection you are a king lion. Now act like a clean king lion. And he threw back his head and he roared like a lion. And he turned to that little lion and says, follow me. I'll teach you how to be a lion king. There's a lion king in you that got his place there. And you're special. He wants you to be that lion, but you got, sometimes we in the church begin acting like goats when God has called us to be a lion king. And those things invade our lives, and we think we have a hold of them, but after a while they have a hold of us. But what happens in that process is we lose our testimony and we lose that place that God has for us. To make a contribution in this world. Now, would you bow your heads for just a moment and let's just kind of offer this. There's something about being in church and that where two or three are gathered, then God is with us. He promised to be with us. And would you just pray for somebody that has struggles with strongholds? Some kind of stronghold has gotten into their lives and it's taken them in the wrong kind of direction. And there are habits that others see and we try to hide them sometimes, but they know. And more often, God knows. So whatever your stronghold is, would you ask the Lord to help you in that stronghold? Just admit it to him. Lord, here's that stronghold in my life. And I've tried as best I could to deal with it, but it's bigger than I am. And I need your help. And there are other generations that, that are being influenced by this stronghold, and that's what hurts. Not my potential being taken away, but it's passed on to other generations. Would you pray for God to help you in that moment? And would you ask him, say, Lord, what is it? What's a stronghold in my life? Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's an anger. Maybe it's something that I used to, the rich young ruler said, no, I'm going my way. It was money that had his stronghold in his life. Judas had another strong. Samson could have been so much. 
David admitted, it's me, Lord. And God helped him with a stronghold. Father, I thank you for this day of our being together. I thank you for this church blessing me. I thank you that you give us truth. And that truth sometimes is easy to resist and we avoid admitting it when we know it's true and you know it's true. Give us strength in that inner place of our lives that is breaking us apart on the inside and tearing up our testimony. When this world is looking for somebody that really, really lives what they really believe and help this church to be that church to stand up to that. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you have your hymnals, I always like to leave with a hymnal. I think we're looking at hymn number 555. We'll look at that, that hymnal. you look at the bottom of that, you see who wrote that, Laurie Klein. Um, Laurie was a young mother. She had uh, her little baby. Her husband was going to theological school in Oregon, and they lived in this trailer. Um, so she was taking care of her baby. She was kind of lonely in where she was, but she would have her quiet time with the Lord, even there with that little baby and taking up a lot of her time while her husband was at school. And so she wrote this song out of her quiet time. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound.